0: He said, "You two smell your own farts." Welcome to Wasted Potential Podcast for another episode of Glass Half Full. I am your host Ronnie, and my usual host Shane is not with me here this week. Um, he's missing. Well, I think the like literal definition of missing is someone has to be looking for you and misses you. <laughs> oh, so maybe he's not missing. He just no one's really thought about him.
1: Oh, that's how it
0: is. (laughs) But instead, I have a guest that I am excited to talk to that is a pleasure to have back on the podcast. Corey is here. Corey, tell us who you are, what do you do, and why are we here?
1: Hello, this is Corey. Uh, Sometimes people call me Kylo Ren memes, depending on the podcast that I'm on. Uh, I run a podcast called Big Dumb Movie, where you are occasionally a guest, Ronnie. Uh, we are here this time, though, to discuss a movie that I thought you would really like. So, you and I have kind of discussed doing a Glass Half Full episode on a movie that we can mutually agree on. Uh, this is one that you hadn't seen that I suggested. It's a Korean movie. It's a 2010 film called I Saw the Devil. Now, if you know it, you know that's kind of a notorious name among the uh, kino files out there, but... If you don't know it, well, uh, I guess we'll describe it as we go, won't
0: we, Ronnie? <laughs> yes. Um, I just have to say, what an excellent movie to recommend to someone. And I'm not sure what this says about you and I, about our relationship here. But I <laughs> oh, God. appreciate the recommendation.
1: <laughs> this is the kind of movie that you cannot recommend just to anyone. Although I have done that. I recommended this to someone blind. My cousin, who is, like, not into film the way that you or I are, Ronnie, and is not, I don't know, not like the podcaster type of personality, just, you know, an average woman in her 20s, right? (laughs) She posted on Facebook once, I need a Netflix suggestion. And at the time, (laughs) this movie was on Netflix, and I suggested it, and she watched it, and she messaged me, and she just said one sentence, that movie was fucked up. (laughs) that's all she said
0: that should be the tagline of the poster (laughs) for the movie good call (laughs) um i guess the preface this we were talking about the nightingale on the um your big dumb movie i think it was um face-off right yeah i think so and I need to preface this. And there's a lot of jokes you make on this podcast that I enjoy rape films. I don't enjoy rape films. I don't enjoy oh, it. On. I'm watching this is the preface. This is the set this up. I watched this movie in utter terror and I and I messaged you saying, There goes my Saturday. <laughs> but um what I don't enjoy movies like this in the sense of man, that was a fun movie. What I usually do it about is like this is a challenging movie to get through. And if someone has the audacity to go down these dark realms of humanity, usually there's something deeper or at least some cinematic craft behind it. Because if not, it's just a snuff film. No, I agree.
1: I, you said there's something challenging about it. I think that's very true. I think some people will dismiss a movie like this out of hand, right? Like if they know uh, anything about what the story is going to give them or what they're going to see on screen or even maybe just a synopsis, They'll be like, I don't watch movies like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I don't like to constrain myself in that way, although there are some genres I like more than others. But I think I can get into a movie like this because it uses um, some of the elements that we'll discuss later um, in an intelligent way, I think. And if it does that, Ronnie, then I think that makes for a good movie, much like The Nightingale does, right?
0: Yeah, and I just don't think... like. The terrible and horrible and just gut-wrenching elements in these movies shock you. But in the context of what they're talking about, at least for those two movies specifically. I'm not going to talk about just movies that feature tons of rape and terrible violence. I can't just put them all in the bag because they're not all equal. Uh, but at least for like the this movie. This is focused on this movie. I saw The, the Devil. The terribleness is relevant to the characters in the plot. And although it's horrifying and not fun to watch, <laughs> it wakes you up to some of the evils that this movie kind of really talks about. Yeah, well said. Um, how we do this usually is I interview the person. Corey picked the film, so I will be interviewing him. My first question, is kind of start us off, is, Corey, when did you first see this film? When did I first see I Saw the Devil?
1: It must have been around 2013 or 2014. I... Well, had this recommended from a a YouTube movie reviewer. It was on their, I think it was on their top 10 list of the year 2010. So I watched it based off that alone. And the environment that I watched it in was at home, you know, by myself, late, late at night. So I watched this, it must have been like, I don't know, starting at midnight or starting at 1 a.m. in the morning. Super late with all the lights off just me and the screen totally invested no phone Uh, I really got to like let my mind sink into this movie in the first viewing which I think is really a good way to do it for this movie and maybe any movie really but um, especially a psychological movie so I was really enraptured in my first viewing and you know what when I rewatched it to do this podcast I did the same thing I turned off all the lights. And I made sure that I was fully invested, because I didn't want to miss anything. I still probably did, because there are times when there's a lot of details, but uh, I think I watched it the best way you can.
0: <laughs> so I watched this for the first time this Saturday. Side note, we're recording this today after Easter, so happy Easter, y'all. If you celebrate it, this movie would be perfect for the family.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The Rising of Jesus uh, you know, has some similarities to things that happen in this movie.
0: <laughs> Probably. I don't know. Yeah, it's the passion of the Antichrist. Um, <laughs> Hey, that's good. Thank you. So, I watched it on Saturday. My wife was really sick. So, what I should have done was let her comfortably sleep and <laughs> But I kind of started watching this in the the room. And I had it, like, down low. And I had it playing. And then, all of a sudden, I see her eyes open. She goes, what are you watching? I'm like, a movie. <laughs> so, And then... <laughs> You can't uh, – so I can go watch this in the other room. She goes, no, I'm interested. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I was like, really? You're interested? So instead of sleeping and resting, she and I watched this, and she goes, well, I was fucked. I'm like, yeah, that was something.
1: So your wife watched this with you, at least mostly?
0: Yeah, for the most part of it because, like, I was surprised. I thought she just kind of, like, tune it out, but she actually watched it. I didn't really ask her her thoughts on it because I kind of felt the vibe of – that was kind of – You know, horrifying, but we've seen tons of things. I've got she likes she likes musicals and fun stuff. I know.
1: Yeah, I heard that. And, you know, I got a lot of respect for her. Uh, I am also a fellow rent head. So make sure you tell her that, you know, (laughs) us rent heads got to stick together. Dude, I love rent. It's funny because we're talking about I saw the devil on this podcast. But I just want (laughs) to say officially on the I saw the devil podcast. I fucking love rent.
0: I don't get rent. I don't mind musicals in general. I don't get it, but since we've been uh, living together, I have definitely made her watch weird, fucked up shit, and she always goes, well, that was a well-made movie, but that's not something I ever want to watch again. I think that's where she'll fall on this, We're like, okay, she's in, like, gore. That's, like, her thing, so, like, those scenes that get really gory, but she, for the most part, was, like, fine with it. I was like, oh, dang, you're a trooper today. I'm surprised. I didn't, <laughs> I think I'm just a bad husband, but whatever. <laughs> Movie
1: gore, no. Gore Verbinski, yes. <laughs> Probably,
0: I don't know. Was he the one who did Rent?
1: No, no. Chris Columbus did Rent. Oh, okay. uh, what did Gore Verbinski do? Pirates of the Caribbean? Yeah. That's he, more accessible, right?
0: He did The Ring. I tried rewatching The Ring link last year, and I fell asleep. I don't think it's a bad movie. I just don't think I was in the mood for it, but I remember loving it.
1: Yeah, if you rewatch it, you'll find that it's not uh, the same movie you remember. It's one of those movies that fucks with your mind where... It, your memory of it is different than the actual movie. Your memory of it's probably the last 10 minutes of the movie.
0: <laughs> and I think also like the uh, the time, the time period of like horror was different in early 2000s. And maybe that was just like a, a game changer because it's like it's the time of like, like Saw and stuff.
1: Yeah, Saw. That's a movie that's closer to this one in some ways, right? I think some people might conflate the two, like maybe incorrectly. But there's definitely some similarities.
0: So incorrectly. There, there is so much <laughs> wrong with those of things. Because I don't like movies that are just awful to be awful. I need something deeper. And I think we'll get into that when we dive into these the, the deeper of the things that we actually enjoyed about the movie. I do, like, I've never seen Hostel. Eli Roth doesn't usually interest me. And I don't think there's anything deeper there besides he just wants to show it. So I've never fully finished watching Hostel. <laughs>
1: No, hostile like the Saw sequels, is just a complete waste of time. And it's uh, gore for gore's sake, you know? It's it's what you what you would expect with those kind of movies. And I think some people, like I was saying, might compare that to this. But uh, incorrectly so. I'm glad we agree on that.
0: Let's try to give a little bit of information. Maybe we can avoid the spoilers and kind of give us a little bit of context. Because if you've never seen this movie, we've kind of given you an idea of the content, but maybe not the plot. Maybe we can describe a little bit and see if it interests you and then not dive in maybe too much to the changes. This is a two and a half hour long movie, so a lot happens.
1: Yeah, a lot does happen in this movie. And I I, I don't mind giving a synopsis. Uh, I'll probably go into spoilers later, though. Is that all right?
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm full of that.
1: Synopsis of the movie I Saw the Devil. Let's see. (laughs) Imagine the most fucked up thing you can possibly think of. And just hold that thought for a good two hours.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I wrote down, it wallows in misery.
2: (laughs) Ronnie only chose this movie because it has rape and vengeance. So this is what you would call a dark
1: movie, if you're going to describe it to a friend. So it's a very dark movie. It's a very gritty movie. I don't really like that word because people use it to describe Zack Snyder movies. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's uh, necessarily... Always used appropriately, but it's, this is a revenge story. And now there's a lot of movies that are revenge stories. The Nightingale we talked about is also a revenge story. Um, But this movie is about a guy that I'll just describe for the lack of a better word as a serial killer. He kills people. He kills people brutally. We see him kill people brutally. We get to see what this guy is about in terms of his hobbies And he kills the wrong person, basically. He kills someone who is connected to someone that works in the Korean government. This is a Korean movie, by the way. And uh, I'll just call him a hero and a villain because I don't know how to pronounce anyone's name in this fucking movie. (laughs) I'm sorry Koreans out there. I'm sure it's easy, but I'm just dumb. Uh, So the villain is a serial killer. He gets on the wrong side of our hero, who's basically like a government secret agent a total badass and our hero is out to get revenge against the villain and he does so over the course of a good two hours
0: i think that's a excellent synopsis without giving away too much thank you when you think of i saw the devil a very nightmarish film what's something what's like the first thing that you like loved about this film like like why did you want to Besides to torture like you know people to watch this movie, why would you recommend this? Like what is your standout thing?
1: Well, we talked a little bit earlier about recommendations of this movie and how they work. Ronnie, you are the perfect person to recommend this movie to, because I know you appreciate art <laughs> There have been few occasions in my life when I've met someone and I was like, "I need to get that guy to watch "I saw the Devil," and you are it. which is why i know i've been talking a lot but i'm anxious to hear what you think about i saw the devil i know you usually ask you know three things you like but maybe i can kind of like flip the table a little bit
0: here like what's one thing that you like the twist of this podcast is now i'm the interviewee Um, (laughs) oh my gosh you threw me into the thing my number one thing i wrote down that is super apparent to me is the cinematography is fantastic the filmmaking yes uh i love the shots at the very beginning there's a shot after he does something terrible you see his lair and i say lair because he's a monster i don't don't say home or domicile or house it's a lair and then you just the <laughs> shot you look to the crack of this this hole in the wall like you're literally seeing a beast's like cave and then there you see just the terribleness of what lies beyond that threshold it's just like this dark, sinister concrete, blood stains, chains, and absolute misery. And this is how these long takes and shots of this are just excellently beautiful, beautiful in a horrifying way. The lighting and shot composition is just so perfectly kind of connected that you. And I think it's kind of perfect being, I'm guessing your predominant language is English as well as mine. Like seeing this as a foreign film having a disconnect and not understanding the language you have to like really read the words obviously subtitles but also really read the language of cinema and i think it's says so much there's so much said no sorry not said but so much shown and not said in this film and you like you said you have to pay attention and kind of pick up on the intricacies of characters and just how this director had a really dark vision and kind of brought it to life and not just for the sake of being evil, but to like show what evil looks like.
1: Yeah, that's it's really well said. And it, my number two thing on my short list of three is actually the same thing. It's the camera work. Um, this is how I listed it, but the cinematography essentially. Mm-hmm. But it's not really only that now that I'm thinking about it. It's just the f- technical filmmaking in general that goes into this movie. Um, you mentioned the lighting. There's great angles at times. Uh, seldom have I ever said that there's good use of a Dutch angle, but there is in this movie during the first kill, um, when the camera's on the floor and it's looking at the victim, um, who is being hovered over by the perpetrator. Like you said, like a monster. Um, you can't understate the layer, right? This guy's like warehouse slash house. It's like it's an unreal place. And it's almost like an unreal place for an unreal person. Like, how could this place exist? Mm -hmm. Right. There's like it's so perfectly suited for the cruel acts that he takes out upon people. Like it's like tailor made specifically for his hobby of killing, maiming and everything else under the sun. Yeah. Um, There's a couple standout shots for me that happen in the movie. And I think we're going to probably go a little bit out of order. Uh, one of them is when the hero of the movie is uh, in his apartment and he's looking at photos and he's trying to track down uh, who the villain is. He, there's some potential suspects. Uh, the camera shows him inside his apartment from the exterior. The camera leaves the apartment, it pans away from the building, and then it tilts up to the night sky and it travels and it lands somewhere else in whatever city they're in in Korea. And it lands on top of the killer's next victim, who's this poor woman at a bus stop. I love that shot. It's amazing.
0: I was thinking what you're talking about. And I was like, oh yes, I love it. dollies up and it dollies down. It just a, it's a beautiful transition with trickery, but it just he knows how to like just keep it going. Don't cut it. Don't stop this because he's got to keep going because you're you the juxtaposition of characters. I'm, I'm sure we'll get into later with the. The protagonist and the antagonist, kind of like the, the back and forth.
2: Oh, look at me! I'm making a podcast without Shane because he just says dumb shit it's Well,
0: fuck both y'all. Since we kind of like re- reverse the
1: tables a little bit, can I ask you another question just to kind of like maybe set things up at the of how things go at the beginning of this movie?
0: If you're if you listen to this podcast, Corey is now taking over the podcast. Go
1: ahead. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't help it. It's my role. It's my natural role. Let's do it. What do you think about how the villain of this movie spends his, like, Friday nights? Like, you saw this movie <laughs> for the first time recently. It opens up with the villain and his victim. I mean, what what was going through your head?
0: So, I read the synopsis on Amazon. I've heard of this movie. And I've heard all the things I've heard. It's excellent, but it's, it's hard to watch. I'm like, okay. So I've added it to my, I think, like you said, it was on Netflix. It was on my Netflix queue for the longest time then it left. And then I've seen it on Amazon. Like it's on my watch list, but you got to be in a mood for these things. Or you have to have somebody says, I want to talk about this. That kind of forces you to watch it. (laughs) Yeah. How do I feel? Um, um, I feel afraid for everybody (laughs) living. I feel afraid for females in particular, just living a life of constant fear. Cause I don't know. I don't watch a lot of true crime or listen to true crime podcasts. I, I get the appeal to some people. I don't, I can watch things like this because there's like a, a disconnect between reality and fiction, but like, yes. I, I can't imagine. Like, I just don't like watching like real stuff because it always reminds me, this is what happened to real people. I know terrible atrocities happen to people all around the world, but there's a disconnect when it's like based entirely on fiction there. But Oh, I don't know. What word could you use to describe? Um, do you want me to, tell you, to say what happens? Or do you just want me to pick an adjective that would encompass... <laughs> well, the, I mean... Evil.
1: <laughs> maybe we can break it down for anyone that hasn't seen it. like Yeah, sure. Uh, someone that is listening. You know, a wasted potential diehard that isn't into the kino like we are, maybe.
0: So it opens up with um, a woman is trapped in her vehicle. And she's waiting for help, which adds an extra just sad cherry on top of this. Is she's looking for help. And she's talking to her husband. And her husband's too busy to kind of use his intuition to be like, something's wrong here. So it just adds layers of just like sadness and helplessness. And then a man who's driving a squ- equivalency of a Korean school bus pulls up and offers help. And then she shoos him away. And then she, he doesn't leave, and instead he unfolds his diabolical plot to beat her senseless, kidnap her, take her to his lair. I don't know. It doesn't show if he assaults her, but it's very well implied. Well, it says later, but it doesn't show anything in the beginning if he assaults her particularly in this instance. Do you know? It doesn't show it, so we don't know for sure. It's it's
1: always a vague implication, but I think when he does it, you know.
0: Yeah. So it doesn't. It doesn't seem like he did. Maybe he did. I don't know. She's she's nude, which maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. Like why this movie? I I had to take a break from this movie. I never take breaks. There's something about this movie. I had to take a quick break and kind of come back ten (laughs) minutes later. But um, I know, right? Something finally hit me on this. Um, But. He basically just brutally murders her even after she tells him something. She tries to appeal to his human side and he kind of goes, "Meh," and then just kills her and then disposes of all of her body except for her head and throws it out there. Well, he tried to dispose. It's kind of hard to tell what his normal routine is because we don't really we know that he does atrocities. I'm not sure if he's trying to hide the head, but they find it in the lake later. Yeah. That's not really fully clear. It's
1: very brutal very quickly, this movie. Like, within the first 10 minutes, the brutality is so extreme. Like, the way he abducts Mm -hmm. her, right? He smashes in her car windows with, like, a pipe. And then he gets in the car and he bashes her in the head multiple times with the pipe. And then it cuts to her being basically sealed in a body bag alive in his lair. And right, you're looking at this and you're looking at the lair and he's just casually, as you like, standing over her, smoking, doing his little mundane tasks of tying up the chain. You know, he pulls her arm with the chain, extends it so it's held in place and then just hacks it right the fuck off.
0: Yeah, I think that the non that word nonchalant, and I don't want to get too far ahead because I'm assuming you want to go here and talk about the antagonist, whose name I'm going to try here. It's Kyung Chul. I think that's his, they pronounce it, we'll call him protagonist and antagonist so that we don't show off our, our gringo-ness here. But he's his. He's just like hapless. Like it's just, it's a routine. It's just, it's just like you or I editing a podcast. This is a hobby that we do. This is like a, a passion we do on the side. And this is his fucking passion is brutally destroying human lives. I laugh because it's so awkward and it's awful.
1: Yeah, and he does it to such extreme. Like he's basically the most extreme serial killer you could possibly imagine is how this guy's depicted. And of course, throughout time like people like this have existed, so it's not outside the boundaries of reality. He doesn't do anything supernatural. It's just the darkest aspects of humanity in one person. Right? This dude is a sick fuck.
0: One of my things I love about, I love, I find fascinating about this movie is it's a character study of evil. You're getting into the world of the most brutal serial killer that I think I've seen depicted in cinema. And it's just kind of like the layers of just, this is awful. But then as it progresses, you just get deeper and deeper. And the more you look, it's just really terrifying of just staring into like this dark abyss and then you're mm. staring at it and you're just seeing like a darker and darker shade of like of evil. And it's 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 awful. And it's not fun. But is it it's super fascinating, at least on a writing and a character level?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's engaging, despite the fact that these atrocities are being committed in the movie. And it starts with, I think, the antagonist who in my notes, I just have written down as hero. Uh, hero and villain, the two main guys in the movie, right? The girl that gets killed is the hero's fiancé, who actually was pregnant, and he finds out later. This guy is... I, I don't know exactly how to classify it. I'd say like a CIA agent equivalent of Korea, but its it seems like it's a little bit even beyond that. He's like James fucking Bond, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah, it says okay. It's confusing because they call him detective at one time, but they also say special agent, um, Su Hyun. So he's something like um, I was thinking almost like Secret Service because he had like the earbuds, CIA maybe or something like that. I don't know. It was something mm. like a little higher up in the like the the government ranks.
1: I mean, he, suffice to say, he's he's a complete like badass, and mm-hmm. uh, I think. It might even be a misdirect that he's given the task, like, off the books by the police chief of finding this guy. But I think the misdirect is is that you think it's going to be him hunting the villain. Like, he has the photos of the potential suspects that the police are looking for. And he's kind of going through them one by one. And you think maybe it's going to be a little bit of a cat and mouse game. And I suppose it is in a way, but not in the way that you think. Because he yeah. finds this guy fairly early on in the movie it's a long movie and i think it happens about 40 minutes in and you you are rooting for the hero right i mean at least up until this point he finds the villain i mean he's in the middle of a pretty heinous act (laughs) i don't know how much detail we want to give on that but man it's really satisfying to see him just like beat the shit out of this dude like he's he's like fucking batman in there right like <laughs> this dude is a ninja <laughs> and i think it's some pretty good action scenes in terms of like the fist fights punch punch kick punch die it's not absolutely perfect the action scenes they're kind of americanized they feel very like jason bourne esque wouldn't you
0: say they're very like kind of quick cuts and they're very dramatized it's it's not like kind of well i don't know see i like I've I've seen see, I've seen a handful of Korean films and I always really like them for a lot of reasons we can go into later, but their violence is always kind of not over the top but kind of hype put it in a little bit of hyperdrive kind of where it's like most characters are very fluid and they're funny but I guess it's I guess Americanized right because it's like I'm thinking about like just this is a stupid comparison but I'm thinking about like the Mummy and like obviously all those characters are like video game warriors and could do these crazy things so I guess I'm not sure if that's a a general movie thing or maybe it's an American kind of action thing but definitely like the actions like he's, like you said, uh, Jason Bourne or James Bond, like he he's just like the perfect like martial artist who just like kicks his ass every time he meets him.
1: Right, like basically no one can hold a candle to this guy in, in, in a fight. So I mean he completely takes out the villain and uh, that's good to see but like where we get to see the plot is kind of like late into the game because it's not just about the good guy catching the bad guy like he absolutely wants to make the villain of this movie suffer as much as possible he even makes a promise at his dead fiance's like i think it's at her grave or maybe when he's just by himself kind of like praying out loud he says i will make him pay for your pain so he doesn't just want to kill him he wants to torture him the way this guy tortures other people And that's uh, another aspect of the psychology, which is one of my three points that I noted is uh, I love the psychology of this movie, right? You said the villain, you described him pretty well, but the hero becomes the villain throughout the course of this movie, doesn't he?
0: He. This is hard because this is not a knock on the movie, but I wrote down immediately when I figured it out, I was like, oh, this is the worst best revenge plot ever. Because I knew this like I said, it's not a knock, but I knew it was going to happen. Cause I figured like this is not gonna be the same cat and mouse back and forth. I'm like at some point the shoe is gonna drop. So I was like, I think what I like about this character is he does what almost anyone wishes that they could do, is use all of their powers to make someone feel like a victim take the aggressor and make them like a victim i feel like anyone who wants justice or revenge wants that right we all want if someone hurts us even to like this terrible extent you want them to feel that same pain and we can identify with the the protagonist because he wants the villain to feel that pain but I was like, this shit is not gonna go on forever. At some point, it's gonna, it's gonna, something bad's gonna happen, which I don't want to jump too far ahead. Of, but I was like, yeah, hundred percent. When at a certain point he gets kind of too involved in his act of vengeance, and he makes a big mis- or two big mistakes.
1: Yes, he does, and I agree with you. It's like the knee jerk, instinctive reaction. I think especially if like someone you love is killed brutally that you might want to do that to them as well it doesn't make it right though right and i don't i don't know how much you want to discuss the morality of it like i think it's clearly wrong to go and do that to someone no matter what they've done but you'd want to anyway right because that's a it's kind of like a perverted sense of justice
0: yeah and especially if if you know there's flaws in the justice system that those they'll get out of and it actually comes into the plot later the the villain realizes i found my way around of being punished or at least to the extent that the protagonist wants i don't want to jump too far ahead to that but but this is interesting because i realized when i was doing a little bit of research on this um the director is g woon kim Excellent. I haven't seen anything else by him, but I'm adding things to my list now, so thank you. I'm going to go down a rabbit hole of um, awful, terrifying Korean films, but I'm into it. Good. But the right one, the second writer <laughs> is Park Hoon Jung, and that name was familiar to me because last year, I tried to get Shane to watch this. So Maybe you'll watch this and tell me if you like it. It's a movie called uh, Midnight in Paradise. It's a Netflix film. He wrote and directed it. And the protagonists are very similar, where they have all the physical ability to enact revenge, but they don't have the mental ability to do it. They get so caught up in what they're trying to do. They don't think about the consequences of that. So mm-hmm. I kind of like where your protagonist, a lot of American protagonists, the smartest, genius, most successful spy agents. They are American after all. Yeah. <laughs> But and um, we're all like that. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> not if uh, you listen to this podcast. Um, but um, sorry, love a train of thought here. I'm being a dick. Um, at least for this writer, he understands having all the physical aptitudes. You might not have all the mental aptitudes, and we see the protagonist in this fall over to that. He's so consumed by his desire to enact what he believes is revenge that he makes a terrible, terrible mistake. And then he fucks with the wrong person.
1: Yeah. I mean, he even goes excessive on people that are not the villain, right? Like when he's just going through suspects, he treats every suspect he meets mm -hmm. as if they're the perpetrator of the originating crime of the movie. Right? Yeah especially that per- that first guy that poor fucking bastard
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah they've seen it um he uh the protagonist is given four um files on potential suspects and the first one gets his uh his for medical word, testicles destroyed
1: yeah with a wrench he ties him to a chair and bashes his balls with a wrench it's <laughs> fucked man but you know what I think they're setting up pretty early, like, how this has affected the mind of our hero. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's he's way over the line, like, from the jump.
0: And, and to kind of separate the protagonist and the antagonist, because, obviously, the protagonist kind of steps too far. You can track and understand the protagonist. We've all gone too far trying to do something. Maybe not this far. We've all gone too far trying to accomplish something whether it's like i'm glad you
1: added that caveat because i was about to ask some serious questions
0: well you know why i like (laughs) these movies because i can relate to it (laughs) yeah (laughs) but like you can track and understand or sympathize with what he's doing and why the antagonist no he's not human there there's no there's not a single moment of sympathy as opposed to the protagonist when there's moments where they tell him please stop Please end this because it's not going to end the way you want it to. And he has these moments to turn back and he doesn't. And that's when all hell breaks loose. And
1: the the villain of the movie, it, it's not just the one kill at the beginning that sets him up as this uh, evil monster that we keep describing him as. He picks off victims a lot throughout the movie, right? This guy's always working even when he's being hunted and he knows he's being hunted by the villain he's still taking people out in his old-fashioned way mm-hmm. some of which is to get like counter revenge right like the the layers of revenge keep building yeah. and uh, we see that unfold a lot throughout the movie but this guy is um he's really something else and we get to see each instance of that and uh, i guess it takes me to one of the other points Uh, Well, my other, my final point that I have in terms of the three things I like, which is the brutality. I know that might seem a little strange (laughs) to say that that's one of the things I like about the movie is how brutal it is, Um, but it really is. This movie has balls, right? And it's not just that they're going to just show these things and that's it. Like, like you said with Hostel, where like they just show them and that's what the movie is.
2: that was actually a really insightful line. He said, you're both... Everything that we see the villain do
1: in terms of violence is, I think, to serve the character or to serve the story. And that's important. That really makes a distinction in terms of like how important it is to see something like that on screen and to really feel it. And they make you feel a lot of it.
0: I, I didn't kind of build off what you're saying there is... That's what separates the characters. Both of them are committing acts of violence, but they're not even on the same level of brutality. And that's what separates them. Because by the end, it's not just two people seeking and using violence for some reason, one's for revenge, and one is because. It reminds us by the end that they're not even the same species of human beings and I don't know if you want to dive into. I don't want to get into spoilers, just unless you're ready. So, but that's why I kind of want to go with that—the idea of like that brutality is so important because there's a difference between what I don't know. Like on top of my head, there's like what like two attempted rape scenes or full, I guess, full rape scenes. There's yeah. two murders he does. There's at least two implied rapes, and there's uh, another murder that we don't see, and. There's also the terrible, like, oh, harsh beating of, the, of, a, of like the old guy, which for some reason adds an extra layer of just, like, defenselessness to it, too. It's just, but his crimes are so uncomfortable. But that, that kind of fully goes into the story. And that's where we end on at some point.
1: Yeah. His crimes are uncomfortable, to say the least. And, you know, I said this movie has balls. They show things that would not be shown on screen in a lot of cases. It also is a compliment to the filmmaking because the effects work is fucking flawless. It's very rare in this movie do I like recognize a prop or a dummy or something that um, stands out as being fake. You can like kind of like spot the difference between, I think, an over the top violent movie like this and an over-the-top Quentin Tarantino violent movie, right? Like, right. something like Kill Bill, where there's um, a lot of, like, intentional use in the Tarantino movie of, like, uh, where you can see prop limbs or, like, you know, blood spraying. I mean, it's clearly, like, a rig in someone's shirt. This movie really, really focuses on the realism. And, again, it's just a huge credit to... You know, the prop people, the makeup people, anyone that worked in the technical area of this movie, really all together.
0: Yeah, there's only one I noticed when um, when they're in the mansion and he's beating uh, the protagonist is beating uh, the antagonist with a metal pipe or is it a wood? It's something he's beating him with something and he, until he knocks him out. You can see it kind of bend at one point, but he's like hitting the actor and like you can kind <laughs> of see it bend, but I think they all kind of really wanted that authenticity. So they all took beatings. I don't know. I didn't do too much behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah.
1: It feels like that, right? It feels like everyone had to have taken a beating in this movie. The acting sure. is just too good. Sometimes
0: it real is. And it's just like, um, one thing I read about this on IMDB is the, uh, the actor who plays the, um, the antagonist who was also an old boy, which I'd never seen. I tried watching it after this. Cause I was like in a miserable mood. So I was like, let's just keep going. But, um, <laughs> Choi Min, uh, sick. Um, he is phenomenal, but he was, he's so method that like, he felt like, he felt like the character when he was walking around um, Seoul just by himself, like Rock around Seoul sometimes. And then one woman who recognized him from the film was terrified of him. He had to like calm her down because like he just left such a big impact on some people. His character is just so realistic. He feels like that actor is a monster, which good for him, but also bad for him. Let's let's go
1: through like a fake scenario here, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say that you're out and about and you end up in a a building by yourself late at night. You get into an elevator. This guy gets in next to you. Now, you know who he is. You've seen this movie, right? But let's say he looks exactly like he does in this movie. And just for the sake of a good time, let's say he also has a black eye. (laughs) He has the long hair, right? Let's say he just turns at you and just stares at you like the way he stares at people in this movie wouldn't you kind of shit your pants a little bit
0: (laughs) I'd hope to become that scene in Drive (laughs) where I I push someone out of the way and start kicking his head in (laughs) (laughs) yeah no I'm a I'm I'm a coward I would definitely be like please don't (laughs) (laughs) I mean that would
1: kind of fuck with me I gotta admit like even though I know this man is an actor I'd want to be like I loved you when I saw the devil but if he was staring at me I would probably freeze He's that good. He's he's extremely convincing, and he's not like a huge guy. He's not like a a, a large like buff guy or like an intimidating physical presence. Mm-hmm. It's really it's just that he's a great actor and that he can convey a crazy fuck pretty well, um, which is probably why he's you know also old boy.
0: Well, and I think that kind of really sells into the character. Like it's like imagine this was twisted and like the protagonist was the evil person. You'd be like, oh, he's really fit, but it's more terrifying to have just some kind of schlubby, normal-looking person—not normal-looking because like his demeanor is not right, but like he just looks like a random person you would see, and that's what makes it even more terrifying. Is just like I don't want to ruin it, but like a monster can be look like anyone, yeah, because he's not because like he gets his ass kicked constantly by the protagonist, and. He makes, he barely makes it out of some situations alive, but that doesn't, doesn't matter what his physique is because he's something more terrifying than physical prowess. It's just, he just has this, this aura of evil and he just um, like embodies it so perfectly as an actor.
1: He really does. And I think we're like pretty much in a spoiler territory now. I mean, probably we've spoiled some stuff already, so uh, I'm going to go a little bit more heavily into it. There's a point in the movie after he's like wandering around and he's, he's gotten his ass kicked by the protagonist and he's like wandering along a highway and he goes to like hitchhike a ride, right? And you know that it's not going to go well for whoever picks him up. We've seen that happen enough times. He's killed enough people. This dude ain't right. He gets picked up by coincidentally a taxi that's out in the middle of nowhere. There's a taxi driver and then there's a, a passenger in the back seat as well. And these guys keep talking to him and talking to him and he's not saying a, a word, but he picks up on something that we then pick up on after him. Mm-hmm. And that's a credit to the filmmaking as well. But he can tell that these guys are crooks. There's some kind. I don't want to say those two guys are serial killers, but they're definitely criminals. Right there. Mm-hmm. They picked this guy up to get him either to rob him or to kill him or something. And he fucks these guys up while the car is going. Right. He has a screwdriver. <laughs> And he's basically like repeatedly stabbing them both very, very quickly. But the thing that really caught my eye about that, aside from it just being a good scene and like a good bit of tension, is the camera work inside that cab. The camera is like doing 360s around the interior of the cab. And I I honestly have no idea how they pulled that off. Like, I don't know what rig they could have used to make that camera trick
0: work. The only thing I can think of that's even close to it is Did you ever see Children of Men? Yes, it's a very similar kind of trick. I don't know. I don't know which one came out. I know they came out pretty similar, but it's so fucking impressive what they did. Like just like taking something as just like I don't know, just a, a simple act of brutality and murder, but it just it's so like the back and forth, the movements. It's just it's so beyond impressive. The lighting, the shots, and how it just could flow. It it seems all so real it's just so perfectly like shot and edited it's it's phenomenal
1: yeah it's like a a master class of filmmaking and again the camera that goes like around them in this confined space and it's like i don't know i I still don't fully understand the placement of the camera because like the camera's inside the car like and you can see everything as it goes around so like what i don't know it's just a great moment in terms of filmmaking anyway
0: the only way I can think of how they rigged this was they built a larger dimension size of the car for the shot and just rigged it to go around almost like in a complete like 180 degree so you can see what everything's kind of going on from that perspective of the camera. It's the only way I can think of is they expanded the car because so much movement by the actors and the camera is done in just split seconds and it's it's breathtaking and terrifying. You're probably right and they must have used some kind of like forced perspective to like not give away the illusion of size in the space. But it is good. And see that's like the th- the thing that's why I love film as an art form is just like someone goes, "I want to get this done. How do I get what I have in my head onto film?" And then they they pass the full crew but some of the best filmmakers that I've seen and they make that show work because it's like we're going to make this work because I have a vision for this. And just using that like camaraderie and you, the artistry of people in industry who it's only for what, like 30 seconds, but they rigged all of this shit just for this one shot to show just not just a normal killing. They wanted to, they had a vision and they got it. And I love it. It's so impressive to me just as a, a casual film watcher.
1: Yeah. It would have been a lot easier to like have the villain pull out his weapon And then we see the outside of the cab and blood splatter. And then it stops and he walks out, you know, that would have Mm -hmm. conveyed the same idea, but it definitely would not be as memorable. And it just wouldn't be as, uh, as quality filmmaking as we got.
0: No. Um, I guess since we're in spoiler kind of territory now, the thing I really like is that the, like the dichotomy and kind of the comparison between the protagonist and the antagonist. So at a certain point, The antagonist figures out how the protagonist is tracking him, which is using some kind of CIA, CIA, whatever the covency of the Korean CIA is, technology to track him and listen in to what's going on. So then he figures this out and then the protagonist makes a huge mistake by giving the antagonist a head start. So then he destroys the rest of the protagonist's life.
1: (laughs) That's a good way to put it. Yeah.
0: He brutally beats beats up to a point of death The uh, his future father-in-law, right? Isn't the chief also his father-in-law? It is, yeah. And then I was sitting there audibly talking to my wife. I'm like, no, please don't. Don't let the sister come home. I'm like, please, please don't do this to me today. There goes my fucking Saturday. <laughs> I was like, oh, God damn it. I knew this was going to happen. I wrote that down. I was like, like, this is the dumbest revenge plot ever. Because this is going to backfire so fucking quickly. And it does. And the antagonist gets the upper hand. And fucking destroys what's left of this protagonist's life. And he has a realization. And we can. Get, there's a lot of things that are really awesome about <laughs> the scene when he breaks off the car door. <laughs> and grabs him off of the, the street. But the very last scene when the protagonist and the antagonist are having that face to face. And the protagonist is crying because like... He is feeling his emotions again. He knows he can't beat him. He tells him, You've won. Is there, and he's trying to see if there's anything left in this antagonist. And man, fucking actor, man, who plays Kyung Shul, the, the this, this serial killer. He pulls off these like crocodile tears and cries. And then he has that snapping moment when he looks up at him and says, Fuck you, get this over with. Come on.
1: Yeah, he's, he's full of shit.
2: Is me translating Korean racist? Because you're both racist.
1: It's a really, really strong scene. I think it's a perfect moment to cap their relationship because it is the last scene they share together. And when he is like crying and saying, please don't kill me, please don't kill me, saying that to the hero, and the hero says, Now do you realize what you've done to people? And then he just snaps out of it, and he's like, you know he's full of shit. He's like, you can't fucking hurt me. I've won. He says that Mm -hmm. to the hero because he killed basically everyone that he loves in the most violent and brutal possible way. Like, even the chief of police, who's the hero's potential father-in-law, I think he lives... But he gets his eyes bashed out with a dumbbell, like a little five-pound dumbbell. So that man's life is ruined. His Both his daughters are dead.
0: Yeah, and he presumably watched his last daughter get raped and murdered. Yes,
1: maybe with his one good eye.
0: Yeah, all like the killing joke, basically. <laughs> Watching most awful things unfold in front of you.
1: There, It does, at times, feel like a Batman and Joker relationship to me. Like, if, like, Batman... Uh, was a little bit crazier, maybe a lot crazier. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this guy is like the real world version of the Joker, right? He's a uh, yeah. He's he's less funny, less silly, just all sick and twisted, just like all
0: those dark elements. This is what a, like a real life Joker would be, because like Joker's always kind of like he's a, a psychopath and a serial killer, and all these things, but they always have to kind of tone him down a little bit because. He's the most interesting thing about the Batman like universe. But this is like a real life where there's nothing redeemable because this is where that title comes in. Like I saw the devil and I was wondering like, well, who's the devil? Because I was thinking in my head because I haven't seen the movie before. I'm thinking, does the antagonist so terrified of the protagonist? He's like, I finally saw the devil who's actually like scared me and it's not. It's the protagonist saying that like I've actually seen evil. I've seen something that cannot be redeemed. And there's nothing to do. I should have done this a long time ago is put it out of its misery because if I let it keep roaming, it's just going to tear down the world.
1: I've always been like a vocal proponent of like um, like even the worst people, you know, something they can generate something positive from their life, you know, something that will contribute to humanity, which is kind of like my, I guess, vague, like uh, anti uh, capital punishment argument. But uh, this movie kind of like counters that in a big way, right? It says not everyone has any ounce of good in them, right? Like this guy, there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing except for one thing that I think I'll talk about at the very end. But even that is like a potential, like that's not even really something they explore thoroughly. So, yeah, I definitely agree with your assessment on that.
0: And I think that's what the the whole like you said the word very specifically at the beginning, challenge. You gotta challenge me with something. You can't just give me violence for the sake of violence, is you have to challenge me to be like, Man, is there actually a a point when someone is not worth saving or there is no reason to save something that kind of wakes you up? Because the protagonist has a big fucking wake-up call of realizing like he's never dealt with this before, and his plans for revenge are completely ruined because no matter how far he pushes himself to be brutal and violent, he can never, never be on that same level as Kyungshul, this this monster, this demon, this devil. He can never be that far. And I think this is saving grace at the end, is he realizes, I can't do this. This is not me. So then he kind of rigs an ending for this guy, and then he walks away in tears, kind of feeling everything. And that's the whole point, is he feels while this monster doesn't feel he just murders rapes and takes from people without a second thought and even deeper to the psychology is he blames them he says he blames women he has like this incel moment where he's like oh women are all bitches and they deserve this and and they don't do what i'm supposed to do therefore i'm gonna take from them it's like oh my god This fucking manifesto monster here is like saying, yeah, who's to tell me how old I should love someone? I'm like, oh my god, stop. Like, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it seems
1: like some of this was uh, definitely taken out of reality, right? Like, there have been those crazy fucks that have done horrible things and said similar things.
0: Uh, At the end of this, you're just feeling like, I need to take a shower. I need to go help, you know, support children and... Somewhere give them money because it, it, it takes you to dark places and it kind of makes you just go, oh, goddamn!"
1: <laughs> I mean, the hero, I, I don't mean to counter what you said because it's, it's a perfect synopsis, I think, of the conclusion of this movie. But the hero has done some things in this movie that have beyond crossed the line. He has he's done some really bad shit. Uh, for example, there's a character in this movie. Maybe we'll spend a little bit of time talking about who's like a cannibal. And the way he ultimately ends this guy is is so fucked, man. When he visits him in the hospital, after he's already had his encounter with him and he's already, like, kicked the shit out of him and hurt him very badly, he, he, the hero seeks this guy out in the hospital to get a little bit more information. And when the cannibal guy talks shit to him, the hero basically just rips his <laughs> yeah, jaw off the, his face. Let's
0: put a smile on that face type of thing.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, who's the Joker now? This guy's the Joker guy. He said the line. I mean, come on. But uh, the cannibal guy, what do you think of him?
0: It's kind of hard to to really analyze the other characters because there's so much with the, the main antagonist to kind of pull in. But um, he's like the other end of evil. Where like, his, the things he's doing are just as heinous. He kidnaps girls and eats them. And it kind of drives him insane. And it kind of it, it goes into like the... Maniacal thing because the antagonist never sits there and like laughs, and I don't know. Do do you think he relishes what he does, or is it just kind of a thing he has to do? The main antagonist. Do you think like because like obviously the the cannibal, he loves eating flesh of humans. He he likes it. Gets off on it, and and he says, "I need to go prepare my next meal." Yeah, implying the audience that's most of his day is just preparing his next meal. Do you think? Do you think the main antagonist actually revels in what he's doing?
1: That's a very good point. So I've been—I was thinking about that actually. Like, at what point in the kill does the main villain get his sense of euphoria that he's seeking for all this? Right, like he's doing mm-hmm. all this because he likes it. Right, he's a sick fuck. He likes to torture people in uh, very uh, sometimes abstract ways, but I think it's right before he kills them. Is is his happy moment? Right, because. He bashes someone in. I think he enjoys that. Sure. But when he takes someone back to his lair and he's done setting everything up, he takes a couple seconds to just look at them right before he kills them. And I think that's what he does it for. That's his moment. Did you notice those moments when he would like just hear him out for a second and then just stare at them? And then he does the kill.
0: Yeah, there's um, the, the the scene that makes me kind of this is the scene that haunts me I had to take a break after actually. The scene when um he's with the nurse when he's when he's raping the nurse Oh god, I just say the words. Um fuck <laughs> welcome to this fun podcast. Um oh. so he's he's telling her and trying to rationalize what he's doing to her, saying, My night was screwed up. If you do this, it won't hurt as much. Try to take some pleasure in this. And, like, there's that sick thing where I think he revels in the power. And I think that's what they say about most rapists is it's not the the climax. It's the I can control you. And I think that's the reality of him justifying and kind of controlling it. And he has those moments where he's reveling in justifying why he's doing this. And like, there's that pleading moment where she says, please don't kill me. I'm pregnant. And he goes, hmm. And then just does it. Like, he he gets that sickness out of Out of all of that, I I, I totally agree with those quick moments right before the brutality. He he revels in it. I don't think the act itself, I think it's just like the moment right before, like you said, he's, I'm enjoying this because I control you. And then the rest of it's kind of like, okay, i got to clean up.
1: Yeah, I guess that's the moment where he's in the most control.
0: God, I feel fucking sick. (laughs) Which, it doesn't happen, man. After that scene, the brutality of how he treats that. That nurse and then what the and the protagonist does to like punish him. Like I need to go take a break for a second and then come back to this. And things these things these, these things don't get to me. I mean usually I'm desensitized. This movie got to me. Listen here. This movie
2: is incredible. Unlike these two cocksuckers reviewing it.
1: Yeah. It it has that effect, that's for sure. And I don't want that to turn anyone away by itself because I think that if people are listening to this and they haven't seen it, they should check it out. But they should also be warned, right? They should know like what this movie is and um, maybe not recommend it to their cousin without any warning like I did. <laughs> I
0: I honestly appreciate that because, well, I don't appreciate it for this movie because this movie, I you know what? Take that fucking back. I recommended Bone Tomahawk to so many people. you see, you seen Bone Tomahawk? Oh, hell yeah. Fucking love that movie because it's a cinematic masterpiece. But it's also that point when shit goes sideways. And I love when my friends go, what the fuck? <laughs> they text me back and say, what the fuck am I watching?
1: Yeah. When shit gets real in that movie, it gets really real. Um, but for the most part, Bone Tomahawk is not that. And I've heard people say, people that are close to me. People that I podcast with sometimes (laughs) say that Bone Tomahawk is mostly a torture porn, and it's really not. It's a pretty slow burn Western drama for the most part. There are horror elements in there, and then they get very horrific at times, but I don't think it maintains that. Like It happens pretty abruptly at the beginning and pretty abruptly at Mm -hmm. the end, and then a couple times throughout.
0: These movies are totally different. This movie, like I said it wallows in misery from start to finish. There's not, there's some like black, like comedy and dark humor in this, but it is so sparse. Like you don't have time to make jokes because everything that's happening around you is so horrifying. I
1: wanted to talk about a couple of the comedic moments of this movie. There was just two that I thought were kind of funny and I don't even know if they were supposed to be, to be honest. It's really hard to tell if, if any comedy is intentional in this movie whatsoever. It's that bleak. But when the cops find the guy who got his uh, balls bashed in with a uh, with a wrench by our hero, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they ask him, they say, hey, who broke your balls? (laughs) 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 That's so fucked up, dude. (laughs) Like they're just like trying to get information out of him without any like modicum of sensitivity (laughs) whatsoever.
0: Yes. and I I think it's the the bluntness of kind of Korean culture because because like. There's a scene when the protagonist is talking to his boss and he's like, how much time do you need? Two weeks. Do you want more? We need you, but we can give you more. It's just kind of very like, let's get on to the next thing. We don't have time for your feelings right now. So yeah, but I think that the bluntness of how he says it is, is, is humorous. I wrote that down. That scene made me, made me laugh. And I was like, oh, it's fucked up, but I'm laughing at this. There's another scene where the hero
1: is in the uh, the cannibal guy's house and, you know, there's Everyone's kind of hiding from each other, and there's, there's a great buildup of tension to see like who's gonna get who. Um, but the hero is like kind of peering around a corner, and there's a woman who's, I guess, the partner of the cannibal guy. I don't know his name. I don't really know any of their names. Um, but she sneaks up on the hero and she like slices his arm. It's like the one time that he gets nicked by someone when he gets caught off guard. And he lays this woman out in such a funny way. Because, like, he punches her so wildly that many of his punches just miss. And he's just, like, swinging at the air. This guy's really just, like, Mm -hmm. have you ever seen, like, a fight with, like, someone who's just, like, wildly flailing flailing their (laughs) arms? Like, he's doing that to her. And he misses a lot of them. And it's funny.
0: And I think it's because, like, you said, he got caught off guard. He's so meticulous and everything's planned out. This scene is actually a point in the plan where his plan falls apart. So he's kind of like winging it. And he's so caught off guard that some... That because he had no idea she was in there. He kind of just like... like I think it's three punches. I think two land and the last one, it's a wild miss. Because he's so <laughs> caught off guard. Showing that like... Maybe it's like a foreshadowing. So like like his plans are, are slowly kind of unraveling. Maybe it's a, a thing that's kind of happening slowly. But like he's like... Bah, and it's like... Oh, it's 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 like... It's brutal. But it's so... Kind of un, out of character. It feels maybe it's kind of humorous.
1: Yeah, I, I can't help but laugh when I see it. I have a feeling that that's like meant to make, to like pull a laugh out of you to kind of like ease the tension before like leading you
0: right back into it. Um, any other positives before I try to see if we can find anything to change about this phenomenal movie?
1: Yeah, I I just wanted to talk about the uh, the cannibal guy a little bit more because yeah. I think he's a great bit of world building right the fact that the the most hardcore serial killer of all time the villain of this movie he goes to a friend when he's at his lowest point when the hero has been stalking him and cutting his achilles tendon and just mercilessly beating him with pipes he goes to a friend to stay the night and his friend of course is also a serial killer like him <laughs> but he has his own gimmick right it's like they mm-hmm. have they, they have like a serial killer Legion of Doom and they even fucking talk about it. And I forgot that they talked about it until this recent rewatch when they say something like, do you remember when we had all the guys together and we were going to change the world? <laughs> they say something like that. And I'm like, there's more of these fucks? Like each one has their own gimmick? Like they're a fucking Batman villain? Mm-hmm. It's fucked up. And one, it's great world building. And two, it really makes you want more with this movie like it it makes you think like okay like where are the other guys like there could be other i saw the devil movies and i and and i really don't mean to like reach for sequels Uh, (laughs) i know a lot of people hate that just like let a good movie be standalone but there's there's room in this universe that's all i'm saying
2: deep within a bleak and dismal swamp hidden beneath its murky waters lies the headquarters of the most sinister villains of all time a legion of doom the meeting will come to order. The Legion of Doom is now in session. It is the purpose of the Legion to align our infamous forces against the powers of good and defeat them, leaving us the rulers of the world.
0: Well, it even adds more to the horror because this movie is every genre besides, I think science fiction, you know, and romantic comedy uh it's like the horror the beginning is very much a horror then it kind of delves into more thriller action but this scene also kind of brings us back to that horror you mentioned the tension there but i like how you said that like there's a world here that makes it even more fucking terrifying that there's more people out there like this and just in this small section of like uh seoul korea there is like these people know each other and they have connections and, like, that is a terrifying world to live in.
1: Yes, absolutely. They do set up that the main villain of this movie was, like, he's, like, the top of the food chain among them. He kind of, like, puts the other guy in his place, right? And establishes
0: his, like, rank as the alpha between them pretty early on. I even think he says, I'm doesn't, he, doesn't he call himself a god? Or is the other guy call him a god at some point?
1: Uh, something to that effect.
0: Yeah, like like he sees himself as like I am above everything and everyone, even with my quote unquote peers, because he doesn't really have a high regard for him. I think he treats him the cannibal as more like a, a place to hide out. And this is my one question that confused me. It seemed like the cannibal and his lover or sister, whoever the hell that is, it seems like at first this was their house, but then he tells the two he tells the girl that he's trying to chop up you were being very rude by not letting us in. So it almost seemed yeah. like they were squatting. So then how the fuck did our antagonist know he was there? Unless, like, he, you know, did, like, follow it on Facebook. He says, hey, I'm at this location. See you later. <laughs> I don't know. This is 2010. It'd be a little early for that. Uh, my impression is that
1: he he picked up that girl and her family from their house and brought them back here. Like, mm. you know how the... Uh, the main villain of this movie, his thing is primarily like getting people on the road. I feel like the cannibal guy goes to people's houses.
0: Oh, okay. And if
1: like, they don't let him in, he probably like breaks in, takes them out, brings them back here where he,
0: he has his whole setup and he has his dogs. I think this is his house. Okay. So then, so then I was thinking about that. I'm like, okay, this is their house. They're like independently wealthy. And I was thinking like, what fucking occupation do they have? And I'm like, it's gotta be like mommy and daddy money. And it's, like, they gave them money, so then, like, these two rich brats can just be awful because they never learned how to actually, like, earn a living, maybe. So, that's my brain went to wild, like, you know, world building. Like, how the fuck did they get this big old mansion? What day jobs should they have? Yeah. But if Cannibal Guy is constantly cooking up things, I'm sure it's mommy and daddy money. Yeah, well, they they probably run Korean Walmart. <laughs> so. And they're literally eating people. <laughs> it's a beautiful <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> um anything else positive before i make you do the sacrilegious thing and see if you can give one thing to change (laughs) um i don't think so
1: not not for now if anything comes up i'll bring it up anyway though of course
0: so Corey, and this must hurt since this is a movie i'm not gonna say it's dear to your heart but at least you respect it enough that you want to talk about this so badly what is one change you'd want to make about the film or if there's no changes tell me why it's so perfect
1: <laughs> well this movie is actually dear to my heart it's probably in my top 10 favorite movies of all time ronnie uh so i really do like this movie i haven't seen it as many times as some of my other top 10 movies but it it, it that has its own reasons right it's it's a kind of a hard watch you have to be in the right mood in the right place probably alone because you'll never be able to convince someone to watch it with you etc Um, So if not the top 10, top 20, I do love this movie. So if I'm going to change something, I think what we need to do, call up Michael Bay. (laughs) Have him cast Rob Schneider as the hero. (laughs) Cast Jared Leto as the villain. And just give us a good old American remake of this thing. That's what needs to change. The whole movie, we want an American remake of it. You know, we need some helicopters. They can be in New York. Uh, you know, the government can't stop this guy. They got to send
0: in Rob Snyder. And he's the only <laughs> one that could do it. <laughs> oh, I said sacrilegious thinking that I would offend you by saying make a change. <laughs> and now you made it sacrilegious by <laughs> yeah. mentioning like one of the most disdainful actors. I don't hate <laughs> Michael Bay. I just don't enjoy his movies. They're not my type of movie. And then Jared Leto, I don't have a problem with personally. I know people have issues with him, whatever. Like His <laughs> acting abilities. His personal life is a different fucking story. I'm talking about his acting abilities. I think he's you a good You mean cult leader Jared Leto?
1: That Jared Leto?
0: <laughs> he has a cult, by the way. Yes, I, I know about that. He, he looks like a cult leader. Like, like His whole like, character in Blade Runner, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like this fucking guy is definitely leads cults <laughs> on his yeah. off time when he's not <laughs> Without acting. Without a
1: doubt, he leads cults in real life. All right, I got two things for real. One okay. of them is not within the text of the movie at all. Mm -hmm. So this is outside of the movie, but you see it on the screen and uh, you probably forgot about this, but before the movie starts, we get to see the production companies. Mm -hmm. There is a production company called, I think, Showbox and their animation that they have and sound effects that go along with the animation do not coincide with this movie (laughs) whatsoever. It's like a silly, like, little bouncing emoji character guy, (laughs) and it has Looney Tunes sounds. Shoebox. And it does not look like it will go with this. It looks like a fucking VeggieTales, like production company animation like it looks stupid as fuck
0: I was thinking the exact same thing I was thinking you, it's so funny that you and I both know that specific <laughs> Yes, like, Barbara Manatee
1: is going to come on at any
0: moment oh my god Corey. <laughs> <laughs> we, we talked so much that we're getting into some specific cartoon uh, singing yeah. vegetables I'm the Jesus. new Shane
1: half in the bag half in the bag
2: <laughs> god, <laughs> god damn so it Ronnie <laughs>
0: Oh my God, I, I found a new Cartman. Oh God, <laughs> that's awesome. I can't
1: do a Shane, okay? He, he does the impression, but you
2: know what I mean? A lot of, a lot of yelling. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck both y'all. What's your second thing that's maybe more sincere, but probably not. <laughs> so the
1: second thing I think that would help this movie, maybe, or I'd want to change, maybe, again, is there could be an extra scene. Now there's a couple of versions of this movie. Apparently, we watched what I think is known as the international version on Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. which has the um, extended brutality, and it's uh, for the most part the you know the director's true movie. Um, but I think there could be a scene added, maybe early on, maybe midway somewhere, where the villain interacts with his son, and we didn't go into this specifically. It's kind of a big spoiler, but when the hero eventually kills the villain he doesn't directly kill him he sets him up in a saw style death trap (laughs) right underneath a, a guillotine a giant blade that's gonna behead him and it's rigged up against a door so if someone opens a door this blade will fall down and kill the villain it will behead him And what the hero does is he calls the villain's family, who he did track down. And apparently the only one that the villain has a relationship with is his like 10-year-old son. He calls the family over to this place. They, of course, walk in and open the door, thus triggering the mousetrap blade to fall down and behead the villain. Which, by the way, we see and looks excellent Mm -hmm. in terms of just filmmaking. It's very clear and it's very um, pristine on film. Doesn't look fake. Um, but anyway, uh, there's uh, an implication that the villain does have a relationship with his approximately 10 year old son. I think it would have been good to show them to have one scene together because ultimately, I think if the villain has any weakness at all, it's the kid. It's just not said directly, it's kind of implied.
0: Yeah, there's a moment when he's screaming, Not you, don't come in here. Like, that might be the one weakness, but um, he's not a good dad because he doesn't take care of his kid. Like, his kid has his cell phone number and I think knows where he lives, maybe, because he, he asks him. So there's at least that, but what kind of fucking father takes your, your kid to your your rape and murder lair?
1: Oh my god, that's such a good point.
0: The, the kid knows where he lives because
1: he's probably brought him there sometime. So if I'm going to expand, I would say like maybe the villain is grooming the kid to be like him, right? Mm-hmm. And that was not really a sense of love in the way that any normal human would think. But that might be the closest thing to him. If in fact that's even happening, I'm I'm kind of just going down the speculation road now. But mm-hmm. if the villain is grooming the kid to be like him, to become the serial killer that he is. Uh, To him, that's probably his, like, uh, sick and twisted
0: version of love, maybe. Ugh. Gross. Going off of that, I don't really like that ending. I don't like that the protagonist rigs this thing and then has the guy's family and kid watch him die. Because it doesn't really hurt the antagonist. Like, it hurts him maybe in the last couple seconds, but it really kind of fucking traumatizes these people. So I, I don't really think I like that kind of ending. I I think when you have like an animal, you just put it fucking down. Just shoot him in the head. Like he doesn't deserve, you know, this jerry rigged ending there. <laughs> yeah. The only thing is it does create that moment of fear for him for a second, but at that point, the protagonist can hear it, but what does he get out of it by the end? So didn't really care for that ending so much. I like the the scene afterwards when he's walking and he has those emotions. So it kind of sells it the ending's fine for me, but I was like, this is a weird kind of like, like you said, saw, jigsaw type of thing.
1: Yeah, so I think that for both of us, like, the very end is like the... I don't, I don't want to say it's a bad part, but at least it's the part where we have, like, maybe some um, minor issues with, or some some things can be reworked slightly in how it unfolds. I liked your take about the psychology of it a lot. I really did. Uh, I, I was kind of in the mindset that, like, the hero was kind of becoming this guy, mm-hmm. right? He was kind of like becoming as sick and as twisted as the villain in enacting his own revenge against him. But you're right that like he, he pulls himself out of that by the end. Like after the job is done, he feels everything all at once. And like, that's where we
0: roll credits. Yeah. And I think that's what redeems him to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. Any other final thoughts on I saw the devil? Any other thoughts there or any other kind of selling points? Because if you listen listened so far in this podcast, you're probably like, I don't want to watch this. <laughs> I want to be happy. Ah, <laughs> oh. uh, man, there's so much
1: nasty shit that happens. Not all of it is violent. Some of it is just a man digging through his own feces.
2: So if you're <laughs> into that,
1: this is the movie for you.
2: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Um, The last thing I got to say is just how satisfying it is every time in the movie, and it happens multiple times, where the hero catches up with the villain and just relentlessly beats the brakes off him. Mm -hmm. Very satisfying, because we see who the villain is, and we know he deserves it.
0: Yeah, and then this filmmaker's like, oh, you're enjoying that? Well, guess what? The point isn't to feel catharsis from revenge. The point is you can't do this because it leads you down a road that you can't be evil. So it's like, so it, it almost like is self-aware to realize, oh, you're enjoying this revenge. Well, guess what? This is not going to end how you want it to end. like, God, oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a good filmmaker. <laughs> you're trying to teach us something as opposed to just get our kicks on watching this guy wail so satisfyingly on this like monster.
1: <laughs> yeah. The layers in this are, are great. And you know, it's, it's in the text of the movie. It's in the technical filmmaking. Um, it's, it's really in every aspect of this movie where there's like some form of engagement that is in service of the overall story. I mean, you even talked about the lighting early. The lighting is fucking cool in this movie. The like uh, the bright yellow that we'll see on the villain's face in his lair is like a good touch. Just a lot of small stuff. I just fucking love it. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, a lot of it's at night and a lot of it is just like, it's so perfectly like lined up like the, like the the shot composition with that lighting is so well done. Like I love the, I don't love it. Uh, The first scene when the credits are rolling, when he's driving the snow and the lighting from like the street light, like street lamps and like how the, uh, his fiance is lit in the, that her little van there, which is like a terrifying spotlight of what's gonna happen. God for like sitting up the stage, but so yeah. well done. So if you can for me, if you can handle the darker aspects of like humanity and seeing it, there is an excellent point and theme behind this film. And the, the acting is superb, and the, uh, the direction, I think, is... My, that's my number one, is the direction of it. But there's so much going on. It's not for everyone, but if you appreciate film and you have a strong stomach, it's totally recommended from my perspective. Absolutely. So, Corey, thank you so much for sharing this movie. I know I've made jokes, but um, this is definitely a movie... That is going to stick with me for many, many reasons. Positive and negative ones. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Many sleepless nights will be had over this movie. You can't forget it. That's for sure.
0: And now as I sit here trying to wrap up this podcast, I realize usually in my glass half full episodes, like I usually splice in content from the film, but it's a Korean film. So the language won't translate. And all the things to talk about involve brutal, brutal murder. So, Corey, as you wrap us up, and once again, tell us where we can hear more of you, can you recommend to me how you think I should, and how and what should I cut into this podcast so it's not just you and I talking for an hour and a half? If there's anything that this podcast is lacking,
1: it's Shane. <laughs> and it's Shane yelling. So I hope that in between our talking points, you just edit in some good old-fashioned Shane screams, cause man, the listeners are gonna miss him. <laughs> I'm just—I love Shane. He's great. I think he's really funny. By the way, <laughs> I'm just kidding.
0: Oh my god! When...
1: <laughs> I don't know, man. There's a lot of Asian women screaming uh, for help in Korean, <laughs> so maybe you could just have that like overlaying with our audio tracks, <laughs> kind of like. Uh, accentuate the points so if someone's Um, listening
0: at work or driving someone goes
1: oh my god they're murdering someone in their car right now (laughs) yeah it's not us it's the movie i promise (laughs) big dumb movie is my podcast it's a podcast that you come on sometimes even shane's been on that podcast it's a collaborative effort where we discuss mostly 90s movies and big dumb movies of all kinds we talk about your RoboCops and your Terminators and your Batmans over there at Big Dumb Movie. So if you like that kind of stuff and if you like nostalgia because we, uh, we love us some nostalgia over there, then I think you should check out Big Dumb Movie. We're on YouTube, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Check us out. Let us know what you think.
0: Find him on social media. He's um, He's been extremely helpful to us, giving us ideas or just coming on and making us laugh by joining in our Spawn podcast. So check that out if you want to hear Shane and I yell at each other while Corey sits there awkwardly like a, a child listening to his parents fight. <laughs> what have I gotten myself into, goddammit? <laughs> but thank you so much for being here, Corey. If you're listening, appreciate it. Follow us, subscribe, all those things, Patreon. If you have extra money that you don't want to give to poor children, want to give to two drunken adults, give it to Shane and I. We appreciate it. And then uh, follow us on social media. We're now on YouTube. So subscribe, like, comment. You can tell us terrible things on there. And, um, side note, fun thing for us. If you are interested in applying for the Woodsboro Sheriff's Department, I'll be posting Ooh. up a job application For you to fill out, so you can perfectly fill that out and give us some comments so we can read it on a podcast. I got an idea coming up. But um, thank you, Corey, for being here. Thank you for sharing this film. Check it out if you have a strong stomach. Um, Go fuck yourself.
2: Oh, you thought you could get rid of me, huh? Well, guess who's here? I'm in every fucking cast, you big dumb. bitches (laughs)
0: really quickly as as we're still recording um so uh, i don't think you probably haven't heard it yet the um the last podcast we did today was um league of extraordinary gentlemen and um and i tell shane that you invited me to be on but i couldn't make it he (laughs) throws a bitch fit (laughs) an absolute bitch fit about it gets so mad and it's so fucking funny because i tell him like dude I, sw- I swear, if you were on social media, he would probably invite you to shit too, but I'm literally <laughs> the only contact person to get so bitchy about it. I'm like, why is no one seeking me out? How are they going to fucking find you? <laughs> They're not on this.
1: Yeah, I guess I'd have to contact working title to,
0: to get a hold of Shane, wouldn't I? They don't even have any social media. They have nothing. So it's like, it's like I don't know how you think people are going to actively find you when they don't know who you are, you <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> And uh, and also, I didn't tell Shane about this podcast. So it's going to come out. And he's going to be mad. So I appreciate that. Oh, nice. That's that's what I just love is just pissing him off, and he gets mad when she has no right to because he does nothing for any of his podcasts. Love you, bud.
2: Don't let Ronnie fool you. He's boring. I write all his work. It was Ronnie's idea to watch Halo. The more I produce
1: podcasts, the more I like. I, I, the more I'm envious of the people that just like. <laughs> get to participate and then listen to the completed episode with like edits and like, you know, it being disseminated on all the sites. Like it's all just done and they get to listen to it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And like, for me, I do a lot of editing at night when my wife's asleep. So then I'm just like, God damn it. I lost like two hours of sleep for, for dick jokes and bleeping out like slurs and terrible words. you shouldn't be saying anyways.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know how long the, um, uh, glass half full episodes take to edit just by comparison because those are the ones you add the clips in and man clips adds so much fucking time
0: you know the irony was i was i'm really busy at work so, and very particular but when i had to edit so I, I i actually pitched this idea for glass half full to shane to save me time and not knowing because i thought oh they're shorter not knowing the fucking clipping of the the videos, I'm like, this is the part that sucks the most. Cause Yeah. Cause your guys' podcast, you have it for like fucking ours is three hours long. I'm like, Jesus. Like for me, <laughs> usually it's like twice it twice or three times as long as the audio recordings are is how long it takes me to edit. So for that shit you have four people in three hours, I'm like, God damn, that's terrible. At least for our commentary tracks, I can just hit play I have to move some things here and there and splice in a couple of things, but that's so much easier. So the irony is I'm just giving myself more work.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's true, but once you've like done a good edit and you've finished it, it's like an art form, right? It's like you've created a thing. Like that's the way I look at it. It's like, I feel like it's my baby. Like I'm so proud of a completed podcast. Like it's done, taken so much work to schedule everyone and then to get people here and then to work out the technical issues and then to, get the levels worked out, then record, get everyone's files, mash them together, level them out, add the clips, publish them. I mean, it's just so much fucking work that like, I'm just so glad when I finished it, man. It's a very satisfying feeling
2: to be done. I'm just throwing shit at the wall and have no frame of reference what the fuck this movie is. I am just saying things to insult you both.
0: I think when you make it it's an art form i think when i make it it's like corralling a bunch of fucking animals and just sounds and screaming and then it's like why do i spend six hours trying to make half in the bag (laughs) why do i spend six hours trying to wrangle and make cohesiveness out of my friend and i drunkenly screaming at each other and you throw in hobo dan to be a third person to also just drunkenly scream like why am i doing this with my life but i guess in the end I i make myself laugh so
1: I got that face off clip when you were like super drunk, like, it, like it was like late <laughs> in the podcast. I
0: was like, Oh, this is good. They're like audibly drunk. <laughs> um, uh, behind the scenes, we, uh, we haven't seen each other in a long time. So we were catching up and that whole day was a drunken mess. So that was the biggest issue was we started the day drinking and then we had the great idea to podcast and drink more. So I was already, we were already toasted So I'm surprised the audio even turned out. And then (laughs) the point when you clip it, it's so obnoxiously noticing that I'm so, so trashed that I'm just like, oh, God. So I'm sitting there editing it like this is embarrassing and I will never get hired again for another job if anyone finds this. But it's also the stuff that makes me laugh the most. (laughs) So whatever. (laughs)
1: I actually grabbed that part. Cause that's when
0: I laughed out loud when I was listening to it. So I was like, this will make a good clip. You know, it was also weird too, about podcasts is, is like knowing whether or not you have to say to yourself, is someone else going to laugh at this? Because me and my friend, like mostly me, because we were both gone, but he's always drunk. So he kind of can hold it better than I can. I'm not always as drunk. So like, it's audibly noticeable when I'm like slurring and screaming. Like, is that funny to other people? And then when it just so happens to fall upon the dumb just like kismet of like Glenn Close being in these two movies that Shane just pull out of his ass, which isn't even that impressive, but when you're drunk it seems impressive. And we're just (laughs) crying because it's so stupid and the reality is (laughs) just it's just so dumb. Is that even translatably funny to anyone else? (laughs) It is, man. It is. It works.
2: I'm lonely. I don't want anyone to invite me on their podcast. Sort of choose stupid movies. I don't want to watch Titan AE. Fuck you.